0: In the previous Mishnah, we listed the things which somebody needs to do in order to become a Ne'emon, somebody who is trusted with regards to Miserus. This Mishnah is going to tell us, HaMakabal Olav is Chaver, one who accepts upon himself to be a Chover. A Chover is somebody who is very particular with Mitzvahs. He's a righteous man, often the Gemara uses the word Chaverim or Chover, to refer to a Talmud Chochem a very righteous man, and particularly, a chover is careful with the laws of Tuma and Tahara, of impurity and purity. they are very complicated laws, and anybody who is not a chover is considered not to be familiar with all the laws, which means that a non-chover is medjabonon, presumed to be Tome, as well as his food, his clothes, they are all presumed to be tome. And as well as that, if a non-chover claims that something is Tahar, he is also not believed, because he might very well think that it's tahar, but he is not familiar with all the laws, and therefore it could be Tomei, so we cannot rely on him saying that something is tahar. So what does somebody who wants to become a Khover need to do? So the mission is going to list what he needs to do, and just like somebody who wants to become a namon has to declare that he wants to do so in front of three people, and there have to be at least two witnesses who testify that he does begin to behave in that manner, so too with regards to a chover, he needs to declare that he's going to take on all of these things, and witnesses have to observe him, and testify, after a short amount of time, that he is indeed behaving in the manner which a chover should be behaving. Now one fundamental rule about food becoming Tome, is that food can only become Tome if since it has been detached from the ground, it has at some point become wet. It's come into contact with one of seven liquids, for example water or wine, and then even if it dries after that, since it has become wet since it was detached from the ground, if it later comes into contact with something which is Tomei, then this thing can become Tomei. and in our Mishnah that is known as lach, which literally means something which is wet, but here it means something which has become wet since it was detached from the ground. On the other hand, yovish, which literally means dry, we refer to something which has not become wet since it was detached from the ground. So the Mishnah says, Am one who accepts upon himself to be a chaver in a haoretz lach He cannot sell to an am who does not know the laws of Tomei, and in fact he himself is presumed to be Tomei. You cannot sell him something which is Lach, which is ready to become Tomei, as soon as the Amhorex touches that, that will become Tomei. And even something which hasn't become wet, so it's not yet ready to become tome, it can very easily just come into contact with liquid, and then Amaretz will make it tome And according to our Mishnah, at least, it's forbidden even to allow Chulin produce. Chulin is regular food which doesn't have a higher, holier status. Even Chulin produce of Eretz Yisrael, it's forbidden to allow them to become tome So if you give this to Amarets, you're indirectly causing it to become tome and therefore you should not do that if you want to gain yourself the status of a Chavar. You can't buy something which has become wet, Wet from an Amharets, because we presume that the Amharets made it tome. However, something which the Amharets claims has never become wet before, that means that it couldn't have become tome, and therefore you can buy that from him and presume that it is indeed pure. And the reason why the Amharets is believed here is because this is purely factual. Did it become wet or not? We only don't trust the Amharets to say that something is Tahar because he doesn't know the laws of Tuman and Tahara. But here this has nothing to do with knowing the laws, it's to do with knowing the facts. Did it become wet or not? And we don't suspect the Amharets of lying, just of ignorance. And therefore if he claims that it hasn't become wet, then you can believe him and buy it and assume that it is pure. Now before we continue with this list, it's important to note that a Chover also needs to accept upon himself all of the things which a Neamon needs to do the things we listed in the previous Mishnah. For example, he can't eat at an Amorites' house, because the Amorites' food may not be tithed. Now, our Mishnah mentions this again with the Amorets, the chaver cannot be a guest at an Amorites' house, and this is even if he knows as a fact that the produce has been tithed, because over here there's another worry of Tumah, that the food might be Tomeh, or the Amorites might make the person Tomeh, and therefore he should not be a guest at an Amorites' house. And as well as that, he can't allow the Amorites to be a guest at his house, So if the Ama'aretz is wearing his own clothes, because if the Ama'aretz's clothes touch this person, or some of his belongings, then it can make them Tomei. However, if you give him clothes to wear, then he can come to your house. And this is interesting, because if you think about it, the Ama'aretz himself is still Tomei. However, we're not so worried about the Ama'aretz himself touching things, as much as we're worried about his clothes touching things. It's easier to avoid his own body touching things than it is to avoid the clothes touching other things, and therefore if the Amharitz is not wearing his own clothes, rather he is wearing pure clothes, then he can come to the Chover's house. Now, Rabbi Yehuda Rabbi holds that although the only practical halachic ramification of being a chaver is the fact that you are relied upon with regards to the halachas of Tumma, we consider you Tahar, and we would trust you if you say that something is Tahar, Nevertheless, in order to become a chaver, you have to be particular in other areas of Halacha as well. You have to be an all-round righteous person. And therefore, <laughs> he may also not raise a domesticated animal in Eretz Yisrael, because these animals often steal from other people's fields. He shouldn't be open and easy to make vows, because somebody who frequently makes vows will come to violate them. He also shouldn't frequently have a laugh and behave in a non-serious manner. One who does that frequently, it can lead to certain Tamilamesim, He shouldn't allow himself to become tome from being in contact with dead bodies. Of course, if he's doing it for a mitzvah, such as to bury the dead body, then that's fine, it's a mitzvah but he shouldn't otherwise allow himself to become Tommy from dead bodies, because this requires a long purification process. It takes a whole week for him to become Toher. He also requires the ashes of the Pahad Duma, which aren't always available, and therefore this sh- should certainly be avoided. And finally, he serves Tamid Chachomim in the Beis Hamedrash, and he learns from them, and this shows that he is genuinely a righteous person, not just in the area of purity and impurity. However, Amulot Chacham said back to him, although a Chavesh should have all these characteristics, strictly speaking though, these do not come included in the things that a Khaver needs to do, and as long as he is very particular with the laws of Tuman and Tahara, he is considered to be a Khaver. Dalad, if somebody sells the my produce on to somebody else, so that means that he bought this produce from an amaretz, and then he goes on to sell it to somebody else, if you know that the buyer is not necessarily going to tithe the produce himself, then you are obligated to separate the Maistras before selling it to him, because otherwise you would indirectly cause him to do an Aveira. The question is, what if the buyer is reliable? And he is particular about those halachas. Whose obligation is it to separate the maestress? Is it the person who bought the produce from the amarets, Or is it the person who's now going to buy it and actually benefit from it? And the answer is that the chachamim placed the obligation on the seller. Unless this seller, anyway, has a hard time making profit. And he doesn't gain a lot from the sale. And in that scenario, the buyer would be the one who needs to separate the maestress. So the Mishnah tells us, hanachtoimim. Concerning bakers who buy produce from, they buy ingredients, let's say, from an Amharet, and they make it into dough. <speaking> in the <language> the chacham only obligated the bakers themselves to separate the amount they need to separate for trumus meiser and Khalo. Trumas remember, is a tenth of the meiseritian, but since meiseritian doesn't have to be given to the levy from the my produce, because the levy can't prove that he's entitled to it, so all the baker needs to do is separate a tenth of the mixture for meiseritian, and actually keep that for himself, but then take a tenth of the meiseritian, and give that Trumas to the coain. So Trumas is only a hundredth of the produce, so it's not a lot, so he does need to separate that, and chala, the whole obligation of chala only sets in when the baker makes it, makes it into dough. So there was no obligation for the Amorites to do it originally, and the whole obligation began when he made it into dough, and therefore he needs to fulfil that obligation by separating one forty-eighth of the dough for challah and give that to the Kohen. However, when it comes to master Sheini, which is the one remaining tithe which he needs to separate, that is something which the buyer needs to do and then eat that produce in Yerushalayim. And the reason for this is because the bakers in the times of the Mishnah were forced by the government to make their prices very low, which meant that they didn't make a lot of profit, and therefore the burden of separating Maestr Shaini was placed upon the buyer. On the other hand, Hachinvonim, when it comes to shopkeepers who do make a lot of profit, Enon and Ashoinim Kresad they're not able to sell Demai produce which they have not tithed, because this special exemption does not apply to them, because they do make a lot of profit. Now the mission gives another example, Kalamash Pim Anybody who sells, using a large measure, so they sell a lot at one time, and they don't sell an exact quantity. They sell them a rough amount, and because of that, they usually give them a bit extra to ensure that they're not overcharging the buyer. So they would overflow it with produce, and because of that, they didn't make a lot of profit. So Rastroi and McCurse had to buy, they are able to sell it to the next person, to the buyer as demai, and not take the maestress, and the buyer will need to take the maestress. And again, this is only if you know that the buyer is particular about taking maestress. Now the Mishnah asks, What are examples of those who do sell with a large measure, they sell in bulk? And only in the next Mishnah are we going to see what exactly is considered a large amount. But first the Mishnah is going to give us a couple of examples, such as wholesalers, who buy lots of produce from the farmers, and then sell it to shopkeepers, and those who sell a lot of grain, but this time they sell it directly to the customers, but they sell it in bulk. Mishnah, hey, According to the previous Mishnah, when deciding whether somebody is considered someone who sells in bulk, we look at that sale specifically. Is he selling a lot of produce, and therefore not making a lot of profit, because he ends up giving the customer more than he paid for, and also sells it to him for a cheaper price? In that case, he's exempt. And the buyer will have to separate the maestress. But if he only sells somebody a little bit, then he will have to take the maestress. However, if mayor says that if somebody generally always measures using a large measure, and he always sells in bulk, but for a one-off time, One time, he measured using a small measure, and he only sold a little bit. Since this person is somebody who is generally exempt from separating the maestress, because he generally sells in bulk to Feodakalagasa, this small measure is considered secondary to the big measure, and therefore even in this scenario, and for this small amount, he will still be exempt, and the buyer will be the one who will need to separate the maestress. And the same works the other way around. As if somebody generally measures using a small measure, and therefore he's obligated with the tithes, or a but once he sold using a big measure. He sold a lot. Nevertheless, since he usually is obligated in the tithes, to fill a gasa the large measure is considered secondary to the small measure, and therefore, we view it as if he sold this one also in a small quantity, so he is obligated to separate the maizos himself before selling on that produce. And now the mission finally tells us what is considered a large measure by Jovesh with dry produce, solid food, shloisha's cabin. It's the measure of three calves, which is roughly six litres or so, When it comes to wet liquids, dinar, it's the amount of liquid which costs a dinar. Now, we said before, if somebody sells in bulk and estimates the amount of produce which he gives, he gives a rough amount, doesn't give exactly a certain amount of produce, so because he makes less profit as a result of that, because he ends up giving a bit more than he should, he is exempt from the tithes. Now Rabbi Yaisi Omer, Rabbi Yaisi says, and he takes this a step further, Sali if somebody sells baskets of figs for Salih or baskets of grapes or Kupesh Yorak, or boxes of vegetables, so even if this is not a large quantity according to Rabbi Yaisi, Man Sh'morechan any time that he sells it using an estimation, and he doesn't sell him an exact amount, Potter, is exempt from separating the tithes before selling it, because even though he's only selling a small amount, he's doing it using an estimation, and therefore he gives him a bit extra, or he sells it for a bit cheaper, and therefore he does not make a lot of profit. So the Chachom said that the obligation should be upon the buyer to tithe that produce. Pergimel, the Mishnayas will continue to give us more leniencies which apply to demai, which don't apply to regular tevel produce, and one of these which we've already referenced previously in the Masechta, ma'achilin <laughs> sahar ni'em demai. People are allowed to feed poor people demai produce without tithing it. So if a poor person comes knocking at someone's door, asking for charity, he can be given demai produce and he can eat that even without taking the tithes. Because since the whole decree that you have to take the tithes from demai is only out of doubt, the Gachon therefore made an exception to cases such as poor people. So this way poor people can receive more tzedakah, and also will make people be more willing to give tzedakah to the poor people, and to give more of it, a little, like, tax-deductible donations. It should be noted, though, that this is still a leniency. And because of that, the Urushalmi says that the person giving the demai produce should tell the poor person that it's demai, so that the poor person, if he wants to, cannot rely on this leniency, and if he wants to, then he will separate the maestras before eating it. Furthermore, says the Mishnah, the people of a town can also feed a Jewish army, which is passing through that town, Demai. If the Jewish army was passing by a town, and it wasn't staying there at all, it wasn't going to stay overnight, so all those soldiers are considered away from their homes, they haven't got their property with them, and because of that, they're considered like poor people. Which means that they're allowed to eat demai, and since it's the obligation of the town to feed the army when they're passing through the town, they can feed them demai as if they were poor people. As well as this, says the Mishnah: "Aman gamliel hayomachel is pearl of demai." Raman Gamliel would feed his workers demai because the halacha is that in a place where the custom is for the employer to provide food for his employees, then he is obligated to do so. And Raman Gamliel's employees, those who were working for him, were poor. So Raman Gamliel took this leniency of feeding poor people demai a step further. And that is that even if you gain a benefit from it, because in return for giving them the food they're going to work for you, according to Mungamaria, that is permitted, because for the workers this is considered totally permitted food. However, however, there is another opinion which is not mentioned in the Mishnah, which forbids one to benefit from Demai in such a manner. And the last part of the Mishnah tells us, Gaboy Tsudoka, the Tsudoka collectors, every town had a couple of people who were appointed to collect tsudoka from the people of the town, and also to distribute it to the poor people of that town. So we shall say, and we argue with this. Entire Mishnah. At least the way we're going to understand Bishamai. And that is that according to Bishamai, even poor people are not allowed to eat Dema'i. This exception was not made. There was a decree made, and the decree applies even to poor people. And because of that, the people who collect Tzedakah should make sure they know which Tzedakah, which produce they collected from Amiharets, and therefore which produce is Dema'i, and which produce they collected from non-Ema and therefore they can assume that Mises were taken. So they should keep those separate, and then, They should give the produce which they know has been tithed, to poor people who are amiharets, who won't tithe it themselves. And they should give the produce which has not yet been tithed, to poor people who they know will take maestres, poor people who are not amiharets. And that way, it will come out that all the people, all of the poor people, are eating fixed produce, meaning they're all eaten produce which the tithes have been taken from, either by the original owner, or by the poor people themselves. Now, this sounds like a very good arrangement. However, the Chachom Omen and the Chachom say, Govenstam, you should collect it generally, meaning you shouldn't split the produce into, demise, uh, into a demise section and a tithe section. The reason being that if the Amhaaret sees that the tzedakah collectors are separating his produce and putting it into a particular section, they'll see that they don't trust him and they view him as ignorant, and this could stop him giving tzedakah at all. So to prevent that happening, you should put all the tzedakah in one section. Now, that means that all the my produce is mixed with the tithed produce, which means that in the Stam you're going to need to distribute it to the poor people also generally, and not differentiate between Ameha and non Amiharets. However, the poor people, according to this opinion, are still obligated to tithe the produce when they get it. And those who want to fix the produce, meaning the ones who aren't Ameha should fix it by separating the tithes themselves. Now, it should be noted, by the way, that shamai who holds that you give the Dmai produce to the poor people who you know will take the tithes themselves in that scenario you're going to have to give more produce to those people because they shouldn't lose out by taking the tithes so you should give them a bit extra so that once they take the tithes they'll still have enough to eat and survive on